So this is what y'all look like. I tell you this, it's a long way from there where I sit on Sunday to up here. It, it may not be, it may not seem like such a long way to Nathan every week, but I can tell you as a layman, it is. It is. Well, I'm, good. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad I could fill in today. Nathan is on vacation, and uh, he will be back next week, and I'm going to be filling in for you today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 51. Good. Good. We've got it up on the screen. So we, we, we can do this the same way that we do it every week. Only I'm not going to read as many verses. I just I, I don't know if that matters to you or not, but it does to me sometimes when I'm standing there. So because it is the Lord's Word, would you stand with me and we'll read it together. Or actually, we won't read it together. I'll just read it to you. And then we'll all, we'll say this is the Word of God. And we'll, you know how, you know the drill. You know the drill. Okay, good. Good. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth of the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This is the word of the Lord. Good. Thank you. I think you got your part right. I'm not sure about my part. It had been almost a year since David had committed his terrible series of sins. The adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of Uriah, and then the attempt on his part to cover it all up and act as though nothing had happened at all. And I'm sure that as far as the rest of the world was concerned, it's not the kind of thing that you bring up to the king on any given day of the week. It must have appeared that it was all in the past, all gone. Nothing more to be said about it. But because of the kind of man that David was, and because of the kind of God that God is, There's a stirring of an uneasy conscience, and it just won't go away. So, 
When it must have appeared that as far as the rest of the world was concerned, it was a thing of the past. Just a glimpse, just a thought, just a word. Uh, just something that seems to pop up at, uh, uh, out of nowhere, an unrelated event. And as far as David is concerned, it all comes flooding back on him as he's sitting on the throne. And there he is, trapped. There he is, sinful. There he is, dirty. And there he is, unable to do anything about it at all. Until that day, God sent his tall, courageous prophet, Nathan, to confront David with the reality of his sin. He came into the king's presence on this particular day and he spoke to the king and he said, uh, Nathan, what are, you, what are you doing here? And so Nathan says to the king, well, I guess you've heard what happens. And he presented it to him almost in the form of a parable. It's just a story that he told to David. And he said, and David said, no, I haven't heard what happened. And Nathan said, well, right down the road here, there's a poor man. And he really doesn't have anything at all. He's just a, as poor as a church mouse, as poor as poor can be. Nothing at all uh, to his name except one little ewe lamb. That's all. And oh, how he loves this one little ewe lamb. He lets it eat from his uh, own plate. It drinks from his own cup. He treats it like a child. He loves this ewe lamb. And then there's this rich man. And this rich man, he's also right down the road, right next to the poor man. And this rich man, he's got flocks. He's got herds. He's got all kinds of things. Uh, and uh, he just enjoys all of the wealth that this world could possibly provide him with. And so David said, well, okay, so what's the story? What?" And so Nathan said, well, you've really not heard then, have you? Well, there was a visitor that was coming to town to visit the rich man. And the rich man went out and looked at all of his flocks and said, well, there's nothing really here that I would want to take and kill and serve for my guest who's coming. And he looked at all of his herds and he didn't see anything there as well. But then he saw the one little ewe lamb of his next door neighbor. And he thought to himself, that's absolutely perfect for the meal that I will prepare for my guest who's coming. And so he went and took that one little ewe lamb away from the poor man. And he killed it and he prepared it and he served it to his guest. And Nathan said, David... What do you think about a man that will do something like this? And the scriptures tell us that David was very angry. And he said, not only does this man, will this man pay four, fourfold for that which he has taken 
A man like this does not even deserve to live. And at that point, Nathan pointed his long, bony finger into the face of David and said, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. And David said, I am the man. You know, of all of the things in the world that I would think to myself are important for us to hear on any given Sunday is to have a prophet come and call to us and point his finger into the face of each of us and have us have a confrontation with God when God speaks to us in that place where we are and where we come from. That's what our heart desires every single Sunday what we hope to see and what we hope to experience no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how dark the revelation is when we come to the place where we see ourselves as we really are. That's really the thing that we want to have in the life of each and every one of us. So the reality is at this moment, what happens when a man faces himself? How dark is the revelation? What difference does any of it really make at all? Well, the first thing I could tell you is that when a man faces himself, he faces the reality of his sin. It doesn't really matter How many times David may have tried to ignore it or deny it before, Nathan came on this particular day at this particular time and he pointed his finger at David's face and he said, Thou art the man. And David said to him in response, I am the man. I want you to be clear when you judge, Lord. I want you to know for definite that it was me, that I'm the one. You know, I'm, a, I'm sort of amazed when you think of all of the, the nature of human beings, the nature of mankind, to respond to accusation. I remember the upper room where Jesus has all of his disciples with him, and he stands there before them at the end of the meal, and he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. You, you know the story very well, just as well as I do. But here's the amazing thing about it. Not a single one of them said, is it Peter? He's always been a fellow that seems to be uh, saying more than he can live up to. Is it, is it Matthew? Uh, he's always been a, a, a tax collector. No, no one said, is it Thomas? He always has been a doubter. And no one, no no one even said when Judas got up and walked out of the room and left, no one said, is it Judas? The amazing thing about this particular meeting on that particular evening and that particular moment when someone is going to betray you, not a single person looked at the other person and said, is it one of those? Each one of them said, is it me? 
that is so unlike human nature. And here is David sitting on the throne, dirty, trapped, unable to do anything about it for himself. And the same question comes at this particular point. One of you has sinned. It is me, Lord. It is me standing in the presence of the Lord, standing in the way of need of redemption. And he uses all three, in the first three verses of what we read in Psalm 51, he uses all three words that we use whenever we talk about sin and we read it in the Bible. He said, it is my transgressions. In other words, our rebellion against God. It is our iniquity, which is to move in a crooked path and to get off of the, uh, the straight and narrow path. It is my sin. I am a sinner. I am the one who has done this evil in thy sight. It is to miss the mark, to fall short in some fashion. David did all of those things. David acknowledged all of those things. And when a man comes to the place where he faces himself, the first thing he does is he faces the reality of his sin. That's what he does. But there's something else that also happens. When a man faces himself, he also faces the cost of his folly. And there is also a cost every single time there is sin. Every single one of us has sinned. There's no one here in this room here today that could stand up and say with a great deal of confidence, I have never sinned in my life. For the reality is, we've all sinned. And everyone has fallen short. Of the glory of God. Every single one of us has not measured up at some time or another. And so it was in the life of David. There's a cost involved in sin. And if you were to stop and think for a moment of the sins in your life, you can think of the cost that is involved. And some of those costs we still pay for years and years and years later. So it was with David. What Nathan said was, because you have violated this man's wife in household, in private, your wives will be violated in public. Because you've raised the sword against this man's household, the sword will never leave your household at all. Did it ever happen that way? Look at the lifeless child that was born as a result of David and Bathsheba's unholy union. Look at the daughter of David who was raped by her own brother. Look at Absalom as he takes the life of that offending brother. And then look at Absalom who's hanging in the tree by the hair of his head, pierced with the spear, dead. It happened exactly the way Nathan said it was. The sword never left 
the household of David. Be careful when you play with sin. Because there are some things about sin that even the forgiveness of God will not remove. What happens when a man faces himself? He faces the reality of his sin. He faces the cost of his folly. But if that were the, all, the only thing I would have to say, it would be a dark and dismal message as well. But there's something else that we can say. When a man faces himself, he can confidently receive the forgiveness of God. Gordon Kleinard was a professor of preaching at Southwestern Seminary back in the 70s. He's been, he's been dead since the 70s, but he told a story that sticks with me and I wanted to share it with you today. Gordon tells the story of his uh, growing up together uh, with parents who had uh, were older in an older stage in their life. And Gordon said his brother, to give you an idea of the time in which we're talking about, his brother died of the flu in, uh, in the influenza epidemic just about the time that World War I started. Which meant that Gordon grew up in a household with older parents. He's the only child. And Gordon said along with that came a lot of free, uh, a, a lot of privileges that you wouldn't normally have when you were a child at that particular time. In his life. And he said one of those was almost completely free reign of the family Buick. And he said what was normal operating procedure for him was he'd load the car up with his friends and take them to school every day. And then he would load them up after school every day and take them home. And he said it was a great, a lot of fun. A great privilege. And he said one day he had let off everyone in the car except one friend. And he pulled up uh, straight in front of his friend's house. He got out. And then Gordon said without even looking at all, he put the car in reverse, put his foot to the floor, and ran right into Fred Will's laundry truck. Caved in the whole side of it. Well, that wasn't anything to be excited about. So, that afternoon, when his father got off work, he came in and he noticed the car. Well, I guess you would. And he came in and asked Gordon what happened. And Gordon told him, a lie that was just as much the opposite of what the truth is as anything could possibly be. He said that Fred Wills ran into him and there was nothing he could do about it. 
And so his dad went off to see Mr. Fred Wills and to settle up with him and to find out why he left the scene of an accident and to find out why he had run over his boy. Only to discover that his son was a liar. Gordon said when his dad got home, he took him into the living room and closed the door. And he said it was the only time in his life that he ever saw his dad weep. And he talked about how disappointed he was. And how sorry he was that this had happened. And how he had hoped for so much better. That night, at midnight, the old freight train came rumbling by the side of the house on its normal, regular route. And Gordon said he was awake as though it were noonday, laying there in the bed. And at one o'clock in the morning, He said he couldn't take it anymore. And he got up and walked through the darkness of the house out to the sleeping porch where his his family slept, only to discover that his dad was still awake. Not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do, Gordon said he just ran into his father's arms and just kept saying over and over, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And his father said, it'll be all right. Gordon's father died in 1949. Gordon died in 1972. But we have a father in heaven. We have a father whose presence is in this room. A father in heaven who speaks to us and says, if you will Acknowledge the reality of your sin. If you will face the cost of your folly, I can confidently forgive the sin that you have in your life. How great is that? What happens when a man faces himself? He finds a Lord and a God who is greater than all our sin. Let's pray together. Our fathers, we come to these moments. I pray that you would touch our hearts and lives. Lead us and guide us. Help us to face ourselves and help us to face the reality of our sin. Help us to face the cost of our folly. And to confidently receive 
that which you have provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.